Welcome to Where the Lotus Grows, Getting Dirty and Growing Strong with Kimberly Searle and Tanya Drew. As integrative sustainable movement educators and health advocates, our goal is to provide you with evidence-based information gathered from research, experts in the field, and our personal and professional experience to help you advocate for your own health and wellness. Our mission is to collaboratively navigate the thick, muddy waters of life to empower, accept, and cultivate our most authentic selves. Welcome, Courage Tears, to Where the Lotus Grows. I'm Tanya Drew. And I'm Kimberly Searle. Today we are looking at musculoskeletal conditions, part three. We're going to talk today about the hips and the pelvic floor. So before we get into that, let me just say that Part of the purpose of these musculoskeletal episodes are to discuss conditions and ways in which yoga and movement therapies can help. But we completely understand that this is an audio-only podcast and not everybody has a vast anatomical knowledge in their head or at their fingertips. So we want to remind you that we really want to provide you with some great resources. So we want you, we encourage you to go to the website for show notes specifically when we talk about musculoskeletal conditions or stress-related health disorders, because there's going to be a lot of audio and visual information there that can really help you put this all together. Yes, this is not an anatomy course. It's just a discussion. (laughs) Right. And we don't want it to sound like a lecture. We are going to get into um, some anatomical terms and stuff. And we're going to try to explain this for the lay people without boring to tears are all of our awesome anatomical friends who know what we're talking about. So... Today's topic, again, is hips and pelvic floor. And as in prior episodes, I like to use Google as a barometer for how people come to yoga or movement therapies for different musculoskeletal conditions. So what I like to do is just go type in yoga for body part and see what comes up. So when I type in yoga for hip, we get pain bursitis. These are like the top ones. Pain, bursitis, flexors, flexibility, replacement, and hip and back pain. As we talk today, I would like to add arthritis as a common condition that I see with clients because I I think arthritis in the hips. And then again, with Google as our barometer, yoga for pelvic, we get floor. So yoga for the pelvic floor, pelvic pain, pelvic tilt, pelvic inflammatory disease, and pain during pregnancy, um, which I'm currently experiencing myself, and would like to add recovery after pregnancy. So we can talk a little bit about that today as well. So let's dive right in with anatomy, starting with the hips. Do you want to take this part, Kim, or do you want me to do this part and you work on that? more pelvic structure. <laughs> I, I feel like we have um, different uh, strengths, there. different strengths when it comes to this. Well, I just want to say this is just a brief kind of brushing over because 
And the yoga Quirk, I think you have Yoga Body uh, written by Judith Lassiter is a really good book. And in chapter eight, she talks a lot about the pelvis, the hip joint and the femur. I also like Eric Franklin's work, Pelvic Power, because he uses imagery for you to understand how all of your bones and joints and muscles work together. And then I look to David Wise and, and Rodney Anderson and Leslie Howard. Uh, Leslie Howard talks more about liberating your pelvis. David Wise and Rodney Anderson really talk about uh, movement and journaling and meditation with the pelvis. So kind so, of the emotional and energetic connection. Yeah. As well. Yeah. So, um, I want to add, just since we kind of listed off a few references, um, and these will all be in the show notes, of course, Dr. Lauren Fishman and Ellen Saltonstall for looking at certain preventative measures that we can take when working with the hips and pelvis. I found a lot of helpful information there. So go ahead, carry on. So, So we have the sacrum, right? That consists of about five vertebrae and they're joined together. Therefore, it's kind of part of the spine, right? At the bottom of the sacrum, we find three or four kind of leftover bits of vertebrae, which we refer to as the coccyx. Mm -hmm. And the coccyx and the pubic bones and the tuberosities, those are the four cornerstones that make up the foundation of the pelvic floor. So if we look at the pelvis as a movement unit, you can make uh, three main movements while standing up. You can push the pelvis forward. You can move it backwards. You can move it side to side, so left to right, and it can twist. So during twisting, one side of the hip moves backward and the other side of the hip moves forward. So within the pelvis, there are five joints. There's a joint between the right pelvis half and the pubic symphysis and a joint between the right pelvis half and the sacrum. And the same can be found on the other side. Now, the pubic symphysis joint is not really a real joint because it consists of this fibrous cartridge. That's like right in the middle, right? Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't allow a lot of movement. So the joints between the pelvic bones are also known as the sacroiliac articulation or the SI joint is actually a real joint. And the SA joint has some characteristics that are particular to it. So one side is facing the iliac bone is covered with fibrous cartilage which can often be found in taunt joints. And the side facing the sacrum is covered with cartilage, which is typically kind of like a a flexible joint. So thus you could say that the SI joint face has two faces. One is very strong and stable, and one is very supple and flexible. And with these four joints, right? So we have two of the PSJs and two of the SAs. They partner in a closed chain, which means if one changes in their position, one of the other joints is affected and it also moves. And then the fifth joint is the pelvis is between the sacrum and the coccyx. So the coccyx can move forward and back around this joint, which changes the tension in the pelvic floor muscles. So sometimes this coccyx is broken. It gets folded in. We hear a lot of women with pregnancy, right? My baby got hung up on the coccyx. Um, it be- and as we age, it becomes ossified. And so that affects the function of the pelvic floor. So to help with visual learning, uh, we could also look at muscles. You know, we could look at the muscles in the pelvic floor, like a fan or a triangle or a figure eight even. No, I like that. Before we get into that, I wanted to, for visual reasons as well, because you were talking about the coccyx specifically, but also just thinking about, so 
in anatomy, there's not a ton of differences always between male and female anatomy as much as what stands out in the pelvis. Other bones in the body are all very similar, but the pelvis is really shaped differently between males and females, specifically because, as you said, (laughs) to facilitate childbirth. So just to back up for just a moment, the sciatic notch is wider in the female pelvis, which is a little more oval, thinner, shorter, and denser. The male pelvis has a longer, more narrow sacrum. It's more heart-shaped and is heavier, taller, and thicker. And then what brought me to this is the coccyx or the tailbone. The male coccyx or tailbone tends to curve inward, much more like a tail, where the female coccyx is almost straight. And all of these differences, of course, like I said, are to facilitate childbirth and carrying a child. Additionally, the three bones that make up the pelvis, the ilium on either side of the sacrum, the ischium, and the pubis. And now, Kimberly, the muscles of the pelvic floor, please. Well, I think that's true. And I was looking back at my notes from taking experiential anatomy with uh, Mary Richards and the Lassiters. And uh, one of them had said, you know, the building codes are different from a male pelvis to a female pelvis. And the pelvis is directly related to the endocrine system, which we want to keep that pelvis as an intact ring. So even if the pelvises are different, there's a bowl in there and we don't want to break the bowl. Right. As we're we're creating movement with them. You know, just looking at uh, some of the muscles, the fan muscles, we can imagine that if we imagine the handle of the fan kind of originates at the coccyx, then the the fan muscles kind of radiate out from there to do two different points, like the levator ani, which uh, in English means the anus lifter. Right. Then on the edge of... Everybody take a moment and feel that. You can control <laughs> that, right? <laughs> then on the edge of the fan, there are a pair of muscles that radiates from the sacrum to the upper thigh bone, which is the piriformis, which is also known as a pear-shaped muscle. Now, it's not technically part of the pelvic floor, but it's important for tone and positioning. Um, and then we have its neighbor, right? The CG of the piriformis. And so it stretches from the coccyx to the spine of the ischium. And then further inward, we can go to the iliococcyx, the IC, and its attachment point can be found on the ilium on the inside of the bone and that fascia. So we have those gliding positions there. And so, Kim, when we think about pelvic floor muscles, Mm -hmm. so a lot of times the pelvic floor muscles are described and uh, maybe a little rudimentary so as perineal muscles or as, uh, you know, you're going to activate those when you're holding back the flow of urine is Mm -hmm. always what we're told. But it's really much more complex than that, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot more to it. The urogenital diaphragm that you're talking about is more like a triangle muscle, right? And that runs in front of the fan and stretches at a right angle to the fan. That's your deep transverse perineal muscle. So that's muscle. kind of maybe in front when you think about um, stopping the flow of urine and kind of drawing up and in. That's a little more near the front of the pubic bone. Mm-hmm. 
versus that levator on the, <laughs> that anus elevator. <laughs> right, more towards the back. Um, it's a little more towards the back. And that's maybe a little more uh, clenchy, not in the glutes, but that, um, you know, if you're stopping the flow of other things. <laughs> or uh, More triangles that you in. can be aware of is the perineum triangle has three muscles on it with kind of uh, tongue-twisting names, which I am not the best at. So please forgive me if I do not pronounce well, I these. I think that uh, what's more important is that we offer the resources so the <laughs> listeners can go find them. So there's the ischio-cavernanus cover, muscle, okay. the IC, the bulby spongiosus, the cavernous mm-hmm. muscle, which we could refer to as the BP. And the, tran- the superficial transverse perineal muscle, the TBS. And these form the outer layer of the pelvic floor. So from a visual point of view, there are two more triangles laying on the big perineal triangle. So geometry fans will kind of love to look at pictures of that. And the bulby spongiosus muscle, you know, kind of looks like that, that figure eight. Yeah. And so is that slightly different in ladies than in men? Well, you know, men think that they don't have a pelvic floor, but we all have a pelvic floor, right? That makes up this sling kind of at the base of our torso that holds our organs up and in. The difference is, is that females have a cutout for the vagina, which that can make things a little less stable. Of course. But, you know, men need to know about their (laughs) pelvic floor too and, and it being strong, um, so, and that leads us to, as we are discussing, um, I know we're discussing the anatomy and I want to talk about the anatomy of the hips as well. But while we're here, let's talk about the pelvic floor. Why is it important? Why is there now? I am asking this facetiously as a pregnant woman right now <laughs> who is a month and a half away from giving birth. Well, I why know why you tell it's us so why important. your pelvic floor is so important. <laughs> But I really, I, I want to hear it from um, kind of the perspective of what it, what is the purpose of strengthening this area and why does blood its wisdom, weakness right? contribute to other things? Go ahead. Well, blood and wisdom, it's, it's um, you know, a cavity within the body. But I think what you're really asking me is kind of the spiritual side of it. The pelvis and hips give us balance and stability. And the pelvis forms a pivot point between the upper and lower halves of the body, balancing the realm of action and creation above with the world of direction and movement below. So if you're in church, you know, churches have a lot of arcs and in the center is this keystone. And so you can think of your pelvis as that keystone for all the arcs that um, are happening within the body. And here in the pelvis is where you make love, you give birth, you digest food, you eliminate you have your mm-hmm. actions to security, survival, communication, relationships. Root chakra. Yeah. The root and if I there. may quote Mary Richards, if there's one thing that I learned uh, hanging out with her, the pelvis is the rubber of the body. Right. <laughs> that directs us. Um, I think anytime her name's going to be brought up anytime we talk anatomy. I think that's <laughs> just a given. So, you know, oftentimes we get loaded with emotional issues or parental issues. Sure. And this is the area where we will kind of reflect those inner conflicts. So we'll get stiffness 
Uh, we'll feel pain. We'll have trouble with intimacy. We may put on weight gain there. Um, sure. I would imagine trauma can be held there. So because mm-hmm. you have two different things, you've got your root chakra, you know, and root rootedness, and then coming up from that, your sacral chakra and sexual energy and that kind of thing. And if you've experienced any trauma. Well, I mean, we, there's a lot of hidden memories there, repressed feelings, you know, where we can keep things kind of out of sight. Sure. Or even just general shame, Mm -hmm. you know, from that part of our bodies, I think our generation and and maybe even each subsequent generation is getting a little better with that. But I know past generations, like that's an area of your body you don't talk about and maybe you don't even touch or you don't even explore or, you know, that's like no-no zone mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, and you know, you can get it, you can understand to a certain extent that it was a way of protecting people, but there was a lot of shame put on that part of our body. I think for males and females, depending on how you're brought up and maybe religious backgrounds, that kind of thing, because elimination from the body comes from there, then maybe it was considered gross or disgusting to explore that area. So there's many reasons why we're not in touch with pelvic floor, pelvis, hips, and that part of our body in general. So, If we talk about the hips themselves, um, and again, audio only, the hip is a ball and socket joint. It's one of two ball and socket joints in the body. It's the strongest joint in the body, and it's only outmobilized by the shoulder, the other ball and socket joint. Because of where it's located, this is our most stable joint. It's weight-bearing for support, obviously. Supports the uh, weight of the upper body. And facilitates the movement of the lower body. Thinking a little bit about the hip bones that we've already discussed, the ilium and the ischium, the head of the femur, which is the ball of the ball and socket joint, fits into the acetabulum, which is the socket of the ball and socket joint. There's ligaments at the head of the femur surrounding and supporting, and inside the capsule, we find synovial fluid, fat, and acetabular fascia. There's a couple of different ligaments here. The iliofemoral ligament, which is the most powerful ligament in the body, splits to support the front of the femur and we, you know, when you bring your leg back. And the pubofemoral ligament, ischiofemoral ligament, facilitate form and function of the hip joint for movement. So there's six basic directions of movement through the hip. You've got uh, medial rotation, lateral rotation, flexion, extension, abduction, abduction, and adduction, adduction. And the main muscles, the iliopsoas, tensor fascia latte, and I'm, there are more, but I'm trying to just give a few important tips here, rectus femoralis and the flexors, um, the psoas major, the iliacus, and of course the glutes and hamstrings also play a role. So looking back at the different areas of concern for hips, we get pain, which Kim and I talked about could be related to hips or could be related to pelvic floor or joint-related issues. We talked a little bit about SI joint already. 
bursitis, which is actually inflammation of the bursa surrounding the joint, tightness in the hip flexors, and then hip flexibility, and then, um, of course, exercise for hip replacement and pain. So, Kim, what might be some causes to tight hips or lack of flexibility in that area of the body? It's an endless amount. (laughs) (laughs) It's a long list. Yeah, it's it's a long list, but I I think for the purpose of our discussion uh, is just to look at it maybe from an emotional place rather than a pathology. And Leslie Howard in her book talks about writing the story of your pelvis So I think about for today's conversation, just looking at narrative medicine to do with yourself and your pelvis has a history, right? Mm -hmm. And so sitting down, taking some time to get out a piece of paper and put down everything you can remember about your pelvis, good and bad. And some items to kind of help get you started might be, you know, when was the first time that you had a period? What was your mother's response? What was the first time like when you had your period? What were your first explorations down there? As every child starts to touch themselves, you know, what was that like for you? How did your parents um, react to that? Did you have any misdiagnoses in the pelvic area or sexual trauma? Maybe you got gifts from someone else in the form of an STD. What was that like? Um, What's it like to be with your partner with your pelvis? Um, Dancing, right? Do you let your pelvis move freely when you dance or have you come across some stereotypes with that? And just starting there um, as a way of of self-healing. Okay. I like that. I like looking at that from that um, emotional standpoint and why there might be issues in that area. And that circles back to some of the things that I said before, you know, Mm -hmm. with your relationship to whether or not there was shame surrounding that part of the the body. Additionally, I do think that weakness in the glutes, tightness in the hamstrings or maybe shorter hamstrings on some people can lead to hip pain. You mentioned the piriformis when you were talking about main muscles associated with the hip. And sometimes that muscle can run through or rub against the sciatic nerve that runs down the inside of the leg and the femur. So that can be associated with some pain or with some dysfunction. Sometimes hips can see torsion. So you explained the bowl of the pelvis and how you don't, you want to keep it a bowl. You don't want to break that bowl. So if you have torsion in the pelvis where something has maybe been twisted, I know personally with clients of mine, injuries in the lower extremities, and, and you have some experience with this too, limited injuries a little higher up, can contribute to compensation patterns that affect the pelvis. When you think of the pelvis as the rudder of the body, having something else happen to some other part of the body that kind of torques that or that creates some sort of compensation pattern that we develop can throw that rudder off, right? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. and then you're continuing to move. You know, the pelvis directs the spine and the spine is a kinetic chain out of the pelvis. Right. So then, then you're experiencing discomfort mm-hmm. or um, even disordered 
movement through that. So in these episodes where we talk about musculoskeletal issues, uh, it's our source and our purpose to really just share a little bit and open up a conversation so that people can educate themselves more. I think here in the beginning, we just want to brush over kind of a broad view. And then we're hoping from everyone's comments that um, it'll help us fine tune maybe into more of a specific discussion that people are interested sure. in. Sure. Well, and with this being a podcast versus a lecture, I'm sure in the future we will have opportunities to do actual lectures and to talk a little bit more and have uh, video, visual <laughs> um, opportunities or visual uh, things for people to tie into too. But for the purpose of this, it's really to discuss how yoga and movement therapy in particular can be used for these common causes and conditions. So in this case, hip pain, bursitis, uh, lack of flexibility, um, hip replacement, arthritis. These practices work to strengthen the surrounding muscles, identify compensation patterns or other derangements. If there's torsion, you know how to correct that. And this is the work that we do. This is what we do with our clients privately. This is the work that we discuss in workshops and and try to educate other movement professionals with. Our practices work to increase flexibility, re-educate and correct compensation patterns. I kind of already said that. To decrease pain and increase awareness. So additionally, the somatic awareness that comes from doing the work with this part of the body. So when we get people who come in, I actually had a client who came in who had some really severe, actually, I think she had an angle hernia (laughs) in that area, but was really, really not in touch with that part of her body until we started doing some practices and was just complaining of pelvic pain and couldn't really even identify where or why or how until we work together. So, so somatic awareness, mm-hmm. getting in touch with the body. And additionally, I don't want to get into it too much with this particular episode as we kind of carry on because we've talked about so much already, but the role that the psoas plays in the body. So the only muscles that connect upper and lower body, we think of the pelvis as the rudder. You have these muscles that run from the low back down to the inside of the hips, the head of the femur, that play a really important role both physically and energetically Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, I teach a whole course just on the psoas. And the psoas is, if you think of the spine like a mast to a sailboat, the psoas are the stay wires that come off. Right. And so um, kind of important if you you do say... Mm So in conclusion, kind of the take-home opinion with this, oh, and we didn't get to discussion points as we did this. Um, We talked about the pelvic floor and pain, a little bit about tilt, pregnancy. One of the things that I hope to discuss, maybe in a later episode, is a little bit about development of pelvic floor strength after pregnancy and recovery for after giving birth because I think that that's really important and I've heard that in other countries they actually offer PT 
for pelvic floor as part of postpartum treatment. And I'm just oh, like, wow. oh. And that's not standard care for us and there. You, well, it's not standard care. I don't even think knowing what your pelvic floor is is part of standard care here in the United States. So I would be excited to talk more about that. Um, but as we're wrapping up with the take-home opinion, yoga, yoga and other movement-based therapies are great for understanding your anatomical needs, educating the self, they're obviously important for preventative medicine. So a lot of asana practice can help you to gain that flexibility and mobility in the hips and the pelvis, but also really educate yourself on what your limitations are. They can teach you self-compassion with injury and recovery, like with childbirth and et cetera, or hip replacement. And also, I think one of the things that yoga in particular, and probably why I'm so drawn to it, teaches you acceptance of changes associated with all of these. So you learn not just connection with your body, but I really think that one thing that yoga teaches that I don't know about other modalities is acceptance within the body and what you're personally capable of. Yeah, I think if pelvis has stability, inversions have helped me immensely in my pelvic floor health. And um, it's a great place to explore and to become more familiar with. Mm. So, as always, we want to hear from you. So if you have some information or would like to share anything about your hips and pelvic floor, we'd love to hear from you on our website, wherethelotusgrows.com. Also go there for resources specifically for this episode and all of our musculoskeletal episodes. We really want to provide you with different areas, books and resources and videos where you can learn more about your anatomy and practices. And of course, if you're in our area and you want to work with us with any of these, then you can find our information there as well. As always, we want to just in general get your feedback about how you're enjoying the podcast so far. So please review us on iTunes or other social media platforms, other podcast platforms. Can't tell that I've been talking this out for a while today because I feel like I've said this a bajillion times, but we really want to hear from you. We really want your feedback and um, be looking, be on the lookout, I think, for more content coming soon in the form of a patreon that we hope to share with you so we look forward to hearing from you bye guys thank you for listening to where the lotus grows join us in further conversations we believe that you bring valuable knowledge to this community you can find us at where the lotus grows.com where the lotus grows on instagram and facebook or twitter where the lotus g1 because we were not on top of that one Remember that though we are professionals in our field, the topics discussed and or advice given is general information and not intended to treat or diagnose. Please seek the guidance of a medical, integrative health, bodywork, or yoga therapy professional for a full evaluation. If you like what you hear, please take the time to rate us on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform.